When it comes to marketing advice for membership owners, there is a lot of nonsense out there. So in episode 275 of the Membership Guys podcast, I'm going to be busting the most common, most infuriating membership marketing myths. Stick with me. This is going to be a fun episode. You're listening to the Membership Guys podcast, bringing you proven practical tips and advice from the leading experts on growing a successful membership business each and every week. And now, here's your host, Mike Morrison. All right. Thanks for listening to the Membership Guys podcast. I'm your host, Mike Morrison, one half of the Membership Guys. Today, I'm pulling out the soapbox and I'm having a little bit of a rant about some of the most common membership marketing myths. It's not even myths. Myths would suggest misunderstandings or misinterpretations when actually a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about, is just nonsense. It's straight up B. S. And the truth is, because online memberships are so attractive as a business model, because of the recurring revenue and all these dreams of passive income and money just magically appearing in your bank account, because of all that sort of stuff, it makes the membership model a very attractive one to talk about for the sleazy snake oil salesman internet marketers out there. And those people are the ones who bring all sorts of nonsense and bad advice as relates to marketing. Not just marketing your membership. I mean, the online space, it can be quite difficult to actually get real good advice on marketing. You've got to wade through a lot of nonsense. Everyone's got a secret to sell. Everyone's got, you know, the latest hot thing, the latest silver bullet marketing tactic. There's a lot of noise, a lot of rubbish out there. So today we're going to try and cut through some of that, and I'm going to cover the most common, the most pervasive, the most frustrating, annoying, the most gibbery BS membership marketing myths out there. I'm going to start off with one that is pretty common advice and actually doesn't even fall into the snake oil salesman nonsense kind of category. And this is the idea that when you're marketing a product, you need to give people a reason to buy today. I see that a lot. I see that peddled around as a justification for using pressure tactics and false scarcity because people become obsessed with this notion that you have one shot and you have to get people to buy today because if they don't, they will not buy. So my question for people who are stuck on this idea that you have to give people a reason to buy today, why? Why is it so important that they buy today? Why is it not okay for them to buy tomorrow? Why is it not okay for them to buy 30 days from now or three months from now? Okay, so you might think that, oh, well, if they're not going to buy until three months down the line, that means I get no sales today, right? That's why we need them to buy today. Well, no, because today you're getting the sales from the people who came into your world three months ago. If you're priming the pump, you're feeding the pipeline, then you're not relying on someone buying the second they hit your sales page. Otherwise, oh, everything's lost and that's a lead that's been wasted. No, it's all about the long-term view. And unfortunately, too many supposed marketers, and I use that term lightly, simply don't think about the long 
term. It's well established that it takes anywhere from seven to nine touches, interactions with your company, with your brand, before someone will be ready to buy. And that takes time. There's no need to try to forcibly shortcut that process. It's so short-sighted. There's a great little book by a guy called Russell Lachlan um, called Open Every Day. And Ross absolutely nails it when he says, successful marketing is all about getting the right message to the right person at the right time. What most people are trying to do is get a load of messages to a load of people at the right time for the seller, which is a very different thing. And this is absolutely bang on. The thing is, some people are just not ready to buy when you're ready to sell. Your business and how you market it is actually more about being there when someone is ready to buy rather than trying to force the sale too quickly. And you do that by becoming top of mind, by building trust, by establishing your credibility, nurturing that relationship and raising awareness of your offering over those seven to nine touches and interactions. And this will happen over a space of weeks, months, sometimes years. Now, of course, when someone is ready to buy, you want to make sure that your messaging, your marketing assets, your sales page, and so on are conducive to making that purchase as slick and as smooth as possible. We're not saying to be apathetic or blasé about getting the sale. You still need to close the sale. However, far too often, the drive to get people to buy today to give them that reason to buy today, otherwise, what's the point? That often leads to people adopting entirely the wrong mindset and the wrong approach to their marketing. And so everything they do is focused on trying to rush the sale to the detriment of their customer experience. They're trying to force people to buy before they're ready. And then they cull the people, they write off the people who don't buy quickly enough. So their marketing, their funnel is full of all sorts of crazy pressure tactics, or they're focusing all their attention on trying to find the silver bullet, the perfect funnel optimization that will get them the most sales as quickly as possible, regardless of the long-term impact on their business. This is where you see people misusing things like scarcity, in their marketing. And that brings us to our next myth, the myth that you need scarcity to sell. Scarcity is a very powerful marketing tactic, but because it's so powerful, it needs to be used sensibly. If you're piling on ridiculous pressure to your potential customers to force them to buy, if you're using obscene amounts of scarcity, you need to buy within the next 10 minutes, otherwise you won't be able to buy and you're dead to me, all these kind of tactics lead to buyer's remorse, which isn't conducive to long-term customer relationships. Think about a time where you felt pressured into something, buying something, making a decision on something. How did you feel about the fact you were in a situation where you were being pressured that much? How did you feel afterwards? Did you regret the decision? Did you resent being forced into making a call? earlier than you were ready without being given enough time to actually make sure that you were comfortable and it was the right choice and all that sort of stuff to do due diligence and all of that. If your marketing and your sales tactics are designed to pressure your customers, it's not conducive to long-term positive relationships. And memberships are all about long-term 
positive customer relationships. You might get more initial sales from using or overusing scarcity tactics, but if those people don't stay because a month or so down the line, they're thinking, yeah, I didn't think I was ready to join this membership and I wouldn't have done if not for the fact that, you know, they were closing their doors and they were adamant about the fact I'd never be able to (laughs) get the opportunity to join unless I did it right now or something like that. You know, if they're not sticking around long term, then those initial sales are all for nothing. It might be okay if you're selling a one-off product, but not with a membership. You don't propose to somebody on the first date. You've got to kind of dance around the handbag a little bit and develop that relationship before you pop that question. Now, obviously, I don't want to equate joining a membership to committing yourself to someone for life, but you get the point, right? So, People will typically create scarcity in their funnels, in their marketing, by imposing restrictions. First of all, who likes restrictions? Do you like restrictions? Do you like the idea of restricting your customers? But they'll impose restrictions, deadlines, or capacity. So, you know, once we hit 50 members, we're done. And these are typically artificial restrictions. So for one... A more discerning buyer or someone who's been around for a while in the online space, they're going to see right through that. They're going to know that these restrictions are artificial, that, you know, you're not closing the doors to your membership because you actually have to. You're closing it because you've just decided to, so you can have an artificial deadline to give to people that will ramp up the pressure. People are going to see through that. Some people won't, but the more discerning, more experienced buyers they'll see through it. Maybe they'll think a little less of you or maybe trust you a little less. I know I've often had situations where I've seen these tactics in effect and it has made me feel, I think, a little bit less of people. But also, employing these restrictions needs to be balanced out. It requires downtime. They rely on you shutting up shop for a prolonged period of time. And when that happens, it means that you're missing out on opportunities. If someone needs what you're selling and you're not making it available to buy, then they'll go elsewhere. Simple as. And if they don't go elsewhere, maybe they join a waiting list. Well, then you're gambling on your ability to hold their attention for months and months until you're ready to sell. And guess what? They might not then be ready to buy. Maybe when they came to you, they came to you because they were ready to buy. They'd seen some of your stuff online. They visit your sales page for the first time and whoop, shop is closed. We're not accepting new members. You are gambling that their readiness to buy can be deferred, can be delayed. If someone needs what you're selling and it's not available to them, they will look elsewhere. So even if you do get them to join a waiting list to be notified of when you're going to be open again or when an offer is going to be run again or when you've got capacity again, you really are gambling that you're going to be able to hold their attention and you're going to be able to convince them to wait for you for when you're ready. Again, this is all, it does not all feel like it's the wrong way around. Marketing in a way that is predicated on when you want to do things your readiness when you want to sell rather than what's good for your customers when they want to buy. And when you consider that people often join a membership in order to solve a problem or achieve a goal, if you actually do manage to get people to hold off on joining a membership until you open the doors, what does that tell you about that person? What does that tell you if someone is willing to delay solving their problem 
they're happy to postpone action taking for six months. What does that tell you about how important this solution is to them? How committed they're likely to be? How long they're likely to stick around in your membership? Again, it's about that long-term view. So that's the second myth. I'm not writing off the effectiveness of scarcity. This isn't about me saying these things don't work. I'm really railing against the idea that you have to use these tactics if you want to be successful, that you need scarcity to sell. Otherwise, people won't have a reason to buy. Hey, how about people wanting to buy because your product is awesome, because you can solve their problems? Like, that's the reason people buy stuff, not because of some sort of artificial scarcity. So again, for me, second big myth is this idea that you need scarcity to sell. Again, scarcity works. And if it's legitimate scarcity, you know, if you've got tickets for an event and there's literally limited capacity of the event, then absolutely, that's real scarcity. But artificial scarcity, particularly with memberships, the idea that a marketing strategy that doesn't lean on these pressure tactics is a strategy that will fail is just nonsense. You don't need to use scarcity. And if you do use scarcity, use it responsibly. You've got to think about that long term. The more pressure you put on people, the more likely they are to break. And that's just how it is. All right. So the third membership marketing myth that I want to tackle is this idea that a good product sells itself. Now, that might seem like I'm contradicting myself because a few months ago, I was saying, you know, you don't need these scarcity things to sell your product. If your product is good, if it solves a problem, then that's the reason people will buy. And that is true, but that doesn't happen magically on its own. You still need to lead the horses to the water. A product and market fit doesn't mean you are guaranteed success. You might have the best solution in the world for the most painful problem in the world, but if you're not able to connect the dots and to compel people to put their hand in their pocket and pay you for the solution to their problem, then it doesn't matter how great your membership is. It doesn't matter how great your product is. Build it and there will come is not a valid strategy. And yet we'll see people who are getting started in their membership journey and they don't have an audience, they don't have a following, they don't have any plan in place to actually build up an email list or get leads or build a following or anything like that. They just think that if they create a great product or if they take advantage of a huge opportunity in their market, then as long as the product is good, everything else will follow. In the real world, it just doesn't work like that. People aren't going to magically detect that your product is on the market. You need to put in the work to get it in front of them. I swear that some people think that if they just launch their membership, then thousands of people's spidey senses are suddenly going to tingle. Hmm, <gasps> I detect an amazing new membership. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. And this is why we always encourage people to spend time building their audience and building a following of people who will be excited about the new membership that's coming, where you can actually market to them in advance. You can validate that they will be willing to spend money on this product. You can use their feedback and their input to shape your product and ensure that you're creating the best solution possible for the real problems your audience have. Again, I say it all the time, 
build it and they will come is not a valid strategy for any business, for any aspect of your membership, and particularly from the marketing side of things. You might have the world's best membership, but if you're not able to compel people to put their hand in their pocket and pay for it through your messaging, through your marketing, through your positioning, through your audience building, then you're not going to get the results that you want. So that's myth number three, the idea that all you need is a great product and it'll magically market itself. We talked about the importance of building an audience on the back of that, and that leads us to marketing myth number four. The idea that you need a huge audience or a huge following in order to gain any sort of traction with your membership. That is absolutely not true. We are huge advocates, huge believers of Kevin Kelly's idea of 1,000 true fans. You'll have heard us talk about this on the show before. This is the idea that any creator, all they need in order to be successful, in order to have a sustainable business centered around their work, is 1,000 true fans, super fans, who love everything they do. They hang off their every word. They will invest in your membership. They'll buy your products. They'll read your books. They'll follow you on all the social channels. People who are your people. They love what you do and they want more from you. 1,000 true fans. If you put that into membership terms, if 1,000 people paid you $50 a month for your membership, that's $50,000 a month, that's $600,000 per year. Would that be enough for you? I'm guessing, I don't have the spidey senses tingling, but I'm guessing there's a lot of you kind of furiously nodding your head with a chuckle or maybe even you know dollar signs flashing in your eyes that sort of money that sort of revenue is way beyond what they need or what they anticipate or what they're shooting for fifty thousand dollars a month to the average person starting a membership is more than plenty so it's more about the quality of the audience you have the following you have not the quantity that's why it's 1,000 true fans, not 1,000 Twitter followers. You really want your super fans, people who are drawn to you because they trust you, they love what you do, you build that relationship, they see you as the expert. They believe that there's no one else in the market who brings to the table what you bring. These are the people who are going to buy from you. These are the people who will be your members. And you look at how many followers some of the bigger names across different industries will have and how big their audiences are. 1,000 true fans doesn't seem like a lot. Now, I don't want to be glib and say, you know, getting to 1,000 super fans is simple. It's going to happen overnight. It's not. For some people, 1,000 might still seem like a real big number. But heck, it's a lot more realistic, a lot more achievable than 100,000 or a million or an astronomical audience size that some of the, again, bigger names have within their audience, within their following. Quality, not quantity. You can do a lot with a small but dedicated, rabid audience. And again, it's not even just about getting to that 1,000 number as the magic number. It's not about 1,000 being the barometer where, you know, if you're at 999, that's not good enough. But as soon as you get one more, then you're ready for a membership. It's more about challenging this myth, this assumption that you have to have a huge audience. You have to have massive outreach, massive distribution in order to build a sustainable business. I said $50,000 from your 1,000 true fans per month will be more than enough for some people. Half of that will be more than enough 
for some people. <laughs> a tenth of that will be enough for some people. Again, this principle really, really shatters the idea that you need a huge, huge audience. And we tend to judge true fans by email subscribers. Again, it's imperfect. None of this is, you know, guaranteed formulas or whatever. But looking at your email list size rather than your Twitter followers or your Instagram followers and stuff like that, that tends to give a better indication of what your actual engaged audience size are. These are people who've shown a desire to get more from you and they've taken a commitment. They've taken a tiny little micro risk and the risk being that they'll give you the email address and you'd abuse it. They've taken that little extra step because they trust you. They want more from you. And as I said, it's not about having 1,000 people. If you get to the 300 to 500 mark in terms of email subscribers, then that level of audience size will typically equate to enough members to get you off the ground and to give you a good starting point from which you can build momentum. Now, of course, you need to keep growing that audience month after month too. But again, just putting things into perspective and showing how achievable it can be to get a membership off the ground and have it generating enough revenue and building enough momentum with what others might consider a relatively small audience. So that is myth number four, that you need a massive audience or a huge following in order to start a membership site. You can do a lot with a small but dedicated, committed, passionate group of superfans. The next big marketing myth that seriously grinds my gears is one that you've no doubt been exposed to countless times. How many times have you seen a blog article that says something like, SAO is dead, social media is dead, content marketing is dead, podcasting is dead, YouTube, live streaming, name it, you can name it, print advertising is dead, all that sort of stuff. Ugh, I hate that. I have a particular hatred with this one. Do you ever notice that the people who are writing these articles and creating this content, they always just so happen to have the inside track on what the next big thing is that's going to replace this so-called dead strategy. And they'll usually have a course or a product or a membership site to sell on the back of that. Ah, oh, it's lazy marketing. It's boring, cliched marketing. We've never written a single blog article that said online courses are dead. We've never written an article that said, you know, working with clients is dead. It's just so lazy. And seriously, for every marketing strategy and tactic that has ever existed, there's a dozen articles saying that that tactic is dead. I've been reading articles about how search engine optimization is dead since the early 2000s. When Facebook announced Messenger... Every social media marketing for miles rushed to write about how email was dead. It's still alive and kicking. The only tactic that should be dead is writing articles proclaiming other tactics to be dead. Uh, I've seen all sorts of articles on why memberships are dead. Memberships are dying. All from people who are selling courses teaching you how to create a course or a challenge or a high-ticket coaching program. I'm not sure why people think that they have to proclaim one strategy to be dead in order to validate the strategy that they teach. Actually, on second thought, I do know why people do that. It's because they're terrible, unoriginal marketers. And that's actually quite closely related to the final myth I'm going to talk about. And that is the idea that there's one best way 
to do things. One best practice silver bullet super secret marketing tactic. The hot new funnel that renders all other funnels useless. Or when people say it's all about the funnel, the funnel is the most important thing. It's all about your launch. The launch is the most important thing. It's this idea that success in business hinges on knowing what that one singular secret that once unlocked guarantees your success. And also the idea that there can only be one of those things that is the current thing to focus on. Again, this ties into the idea that X is dead, Facebook is dead, search is dead. A lot of it comes from feeding into that idea that there's one secret, super amazing thing that we should all be doing to be successful. And if we're not doing it, we're failing, we're missing out. And we need to always keep on top of what that silver bullet is. It's rubbish. It's nonsense. It's so, so stupid. It's an appealing idea. And it's a one that is manipulated by the sleazier internet marketers in the world. They know that people get hooked on this quest for the silver bullet, this search to always have that special tool in their arsenal, that one best way of doing things. But the truth is, marketing is usually a culmination of lots of different things. The best businesses tap into multi-touch marketing, where all of their activities, all of their different initiatives and strategies and tactics they have in place coalesce into sales. There's no one best way of doing things. There's no tactic this month that will get you better results than the tactic last month. There are no absolutes. Webinars aren't better than challenges. Challenges aren't better than webinars. Closed-door memberships aren't better than open-door ones. Open-door memberships aren't better than closed-door ones. Facebook ads won't get you better results than YouTube ads, and YouTube ads won't get you better results than Facebook ads. There's no secret sauce. There's no magic bullet. There's no one-size-fits-all guaranteed formula. There is no one best way. The people who try to convince you that there is are either extremely limited and extremely unimaginative because when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail or more likely they're trying to sell you something. And the harder that they insist on pushing their pet tactic as the perfect tactic, the only thing you should be doing, the thing that renders everything else pointless and useless, the more that they insist on that, the more likely it is that what they're selling you is total crap. And I think that's a good place to end it. All right, man, I can put that soapbox away, but hopefully you have found this useful. I'm sure you'll have recognized some of the stuff that I've talked about, some of the terrible advice and manipulative tactics and absolute marketing nonsense that goes on out there. And this isn't just limited to the online membership space. This is online business in general. So I do hope you've at least enjoyed today's episode, but also found some things useful and maybe it's helped you realize that some of the stuff you've been seeing out there maybe shouldn't be taken on surface value as good marketing 
advice. All right, I've had a lot of fun busting the most common membership marketing myths. As always, I'd love to hear what you guys think. Is there any terrible marketing advice or tips that you see doing the rounds that really gets your goat or frustrates you? Is there something that someone once convinced you was the silver bullet? Maybe you changed what you were doing to work with someone's advice and then regretted it. I would love to hear all of your thoughts on membership marketing myths. You can hit me up on social media at membership guys on Twitter at membership guy singular on Instagram or give us a shout inside our free Facebook group. If you go to talkmemberships.com that will magically redirect you to the group or you can just search membership mastermind or the membership guys on your Facebook app. You'll find our group there's almost 17,000 membership owners in there and we'll no doubt be having a good old chuckle at some of the more ludicrous membership marketing myths uh, when this episode goes out. That is it from me. Hopefully you've enjoyed today's show. I'll be back again next week week with another episode of the Membership Guys podcast.